0: Greetings, salutations, welcome to Tuesday and Sports Talk, a two-hour program devoted, well, you can probably guess what it's devoted to. It's devoted to sports, but a lot of times it's devoted to Illinois sports, college athletics, but broader than that as well. I'm Scott Beatty, Lauren Tate, a longtime broadcaster and writer with the News Gazette is here for the first hour. Next hour, Evan Kahn is in. We're so glad you have... Chosen to make some time with us. We do appreciate it. Coming up, your reward, is a little bit of insight on the Iowa Hawkeyes. Chad Listeco from the Des Moines Register will be our guest. Next hour, uh, more on this shaky college landscape in terms of shifts with coaches and realignment and more Matt Brown extra points is our guest. And Illinois offensive lineman Alex Palcheski will check in as well. Illinois is riding high after the win over Wisconsin last week and looking for a big game on Saturday night, this coming Saturday against the Iowa Hawkeyes under the lights of Memorial Stadium. We'll get some audio to bring you as well as we say hello, Lauren Tate. Happy
1: Tuesday. Hope you're doing well. Well, I'm doing well. I, I'm reading more about Chris today uh, and, and why he was fired at, at uh, Wisconsin and there's a lot more to this. I mean, number one, they're trying to protect Jim Leonard and see if he has the qualities of a head coach. And, of course, he's the defensive coordinator. And the other thing is that I we're getting a, a different reports on this, but they claim that the that the recruiting is really down right now. Mm-hmm. And, therefore, that doesn't show well for the future. And uh, there are just some other considerations here. He had a long talk with McIntosh uh, upon his dismissal. And I don't know that they went in with that as as a settled uh, issue, but it certainly came out that way I guess, It sounds like they reduced his buyout from around sixteen four to eleven million.
0: I thought I saw it was coming down from twenty, but either well, way they
1: you know uh that might be right. I saw sixteen four and I've heard twenty also, but I think maybe part of it would be what his what it would be if he stayed for the whole season. Uh, and as opposed to what it would be now and I think he probably agreed to a lesser amount and and I I don't think Chris has bad feelings for, the, I mean obviously he has great feelings for a university where he played quarterback, he's been assistant coach he's been a head coach, you know this is where he's lived most of his 56 years and so uh, I think he wanted to do what he ultimately what he fought, felt was best and McIntosh feels they need to start over and try to save Mac. if they keep Chris, they're going to lose Leonard to somebody else. It's, There's sounds,
0: so many openings right yeah. now,
1: already. And as far as we know, he's already been contacted. Yeah. So, so
0: the, I, that's that's the situation. It was maybe a we we have to move now if we want to have a shot. If we think he is our future head coach, not just an interim, we got to do it now.
1: Yeah, and if you think you've got a chance to save the season – it didn't look like it was going to happen with Chris because they played, they got really routed by Ohio State and then they were just a dead team against Illinois, basically. They just didn't show anything. And, you know, they, they don't want to continue this because this, this is their third loss. They they lost to a Washington State team that's not great.
0: Yeah, but in, in, all their losses have been against Power Five teams. Well, you know, they had true. the win over New Mexico and uh, New Mexico State mm-hmm. and Illinois State. So that's not a very impressive resume when those are only two wins. That's right.
1: Um, those but, don't count. But
0: you would think
1: that longevity counts for something. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm sure that was part of the consideration. But uh, I think probably they just feel that this – they were th- – th- when you throw in the Leonard situation and you throw in the recruiting, you just figure – and uh, as we said, the fans and donors are very much behind what McIntosh did. Yeah. Now, where is uh, Alvarez? I don't know. I mean, I I don't I don't think that Alvarez would have would have pushed for this, but he probably wasn't asked. Is that maybe he was told? I doubt he was asked.
0: You you can't help but feel for a guy losing his job very suddenly. Uh, he's getting paid a lot of money not to be a coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Lucy Roden is a fun follow on Twitter, and she. Uh, she always says that the, the best job you can have is to be a bad football coach because it pays really well. It really does. <laughs> As Ed Orgeron said, we, which we, door? Do <laughs> you want me to walk out? I'm happy to go I if think, you're going to pay me that to go away. I think but,
1: Brian and I were guessing that maybe the five coaches who have been fired might r- probably receive in the neighborhood of $50 million or more.
0: Yeah. Uh, but uh, uh, on the other hand, there's still this optic of you've done a really great job, but not recently, so leave and and it it's it's just a weird it's a weird space to be in
1: well they're paying a lot of money and and you can get fired that's it's it's just you know if it was a job where you weren't getting paid much and nobody cared you could work forever yeah. and that's what that's what that's what we're doing
0: <laughs> yeah but
1: here illinois is now going to play a team
0: this week where Kirk Ferentz has been there the longest out of anybody in the Big Ten current Hell positions, yeah. and, and he's he's entrenched, and I'm not sure that everybody loves that he's still there, but he's been the steady Eddie. And year in and year out produces a winning program, but not necessarily, I don't know if that's going to be the case this year, but not everybody is happy with eight-win teams.
1: Well, that's right. But and
0: can you imagine, Lauren, If let's say this is, turns out to be a special season for Illinois, something something nobody really expected 910 wins New Year's Bowl something like that and 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 maybe it's kind of sustained with nine or eight wins in you know the next few seasons and then it dips
1: well the, it, the, the,
0: the wish, way this is going would say fire your coach.
1: I just wish you could stay in the Western division forever because we saw Northwestern win twice with a very simple formula don't play Ohio State. And win the close games and you can win the division. And then the next year you might not win any games at all. I mean, we've seen them uh, and that ought to give hope for everybody. And this was I was first time to win the division too, last year.
0: Yeah. Well, I read an article and I cannot for the life of me remember. And I saw an article that said this is the last year of the Western Division. And yeah. I I actually said to myself, they're wrong. They must have made a typo. They are mean a year after this year when USC and UCLA come in, and then they're going to reset it. But now you've read something, too, that says that, – or you've Look, heard that the divisions are done we this year.
1: We've got two, uh, two opinions uh, uh, with the two divisions. The Eastern Division wants it to be one division. The West Division wants to keep it in two divisions. They want to play each other. Obviously, Michigan, Penn State, Maryland, and all those teams that have to play Ohio State every year – in the eastern division don't like the situation because the chances of them reaching the playoffs are really s- slim now Michigan made it last year but they like they like, they'd like to have two teams out of the league playoff and the two teams would probably come From the Eastern Division. That's the way it looks right now. There isn't a ranked team in the Western Division. I'm sure there's a lot of teams that would like to uh, challenge this
0: assertion, but it does look like to me that the top three teams at least in the Big Ten reside in the East, in Mm -hmm. Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State. And you you could make a case for Maryland being number 4, but who's the best in the West right now?
1: I don't know. Um, Okay. I I can give you reasons why. you're going to ask that question – Take the jerseys off, everybody. Don't don't have any names on there. Who has played the best so far? Well, in the Western Division,
0: do, can I look at the opponents though? Okay, because statistically, Illinois has played pretty darn well
1: against a weak competition. Yeah, but the, the win over Wisconsin—did you consider them weak? I did not. <laughs> I guess coming we in, do now. I,
0: I knew they weren't top twenty-five good, but yeah. I felt like they were a solid football team.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, the people. It's hard to change your mind about when it's been fixated on 20 years of results. You're right. And that's what Wisconsin was carrying. That's why I said if you took their jersey off, Illinois shouldn't have been an underdog against Wisconsin because they were playing better already. Mm-hmm. And Minnesota, I mean, they didn't have but a great game
0: I, against Purdue, but they still may be the best team. You make
1: a really good point, but I've said this before, and, and I, I know it gets me in trouble with people that, want, that don't want to hear any negative, but every team Illinois has played, starting Wyoming, and, and I'm talking about the Illinois defense, they, they Wyoming had serious offensive line problems. Indiana had no offensive line, you know, no threat there at all. they went right Virginia had lost their top seven offensive linemen seven there's only five positions they've lost five plus two and of course uh, Chattanooga was uh, a a second division team I mean a second uh, FCS team therefore uh, they just didn't stack up with Illinois so what I'm saying is that Illinois' defensive line was sensational I watched it again today I watched it Sunday I watched it for two hours they're really good, but I don't know how good the offensive lines that are playing against them. They're stacking them up. They're beating them at the line of scrimmage. They're making Avery look like an all-American. They're making the two uh, tackles look sensational. I mean, so we still have to find out as we go for. And I don't. I think uh, Iowa's offensive line will be the best op- line that they have faced so far, but. They they're the they're the they're one of the worst offensive teams in the nation mm-hmm. overall,
0: and we're going to hear a little bit more about them with Chad LeSteco from the Des Moines Register here in a little bit. Isaiah Williams, Illini wide receiver today, uh, talked with the media. He. I mean, rightfully so. The defense is getting uh, extolled here, but offense is moving pretty well. Why is that, so Isaiah Williams?
2: When you got a good offensive coordinator, he putting the um, ball in the right hands, guys, and everybody doing their job. Good things gonna happen. We got a guy like Chase Brown there, running back, making things, pl- making things happen. It make it makes stuff easier for everybody. Makes stuff easier for the O line. Makes stuff easier for the receivers. Um, the quarterback. So when you put a combination of good things going on, I feel like that's where the success is coming from. Everybody just doing their job, and then our offensive coordinator and head coach just putting us in the right positions.
1: There you go. He's, make, he's making a lot of catches, but he hasn't broken them the way I thought he might. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's essentially because defenses are set, know that they're going to throw the short passes to him in the hopes that he can break them, and they're, they're covering him pretty well.
0: So we'll get the thoughts from Des Moines and the center of Iowa. What they think about this one is, again, Illinois is favored by a few points. This is the world we're in now, Lauren Tate. Illinois is hosting Iowa and
1: favored at home. We said uh, just about two weeks ago Illinois was going to be an underdog in every game, and now they're going to be favored in this one. And if they win this one, who knows how many more they'll be. It's certainly going to be favored against Nebraska and Northwestern just goes to show you should
0: never listen to us two weeks ago. You should only listen to us now when we know more. (laughs) We know more. Okay, back in a moment on Sports Talk. You're listening to Sports Talk on DWS. We'll continue on this Tuesday edition of Sports Talk. Scott Beatty and Lauren Tate here with you talking some Illinois and Iowa football on this Tuesday as they look to fill up Memorial Stadium Chad Lysticko is a columnist from the for the Des Moines Register where the S's are silent, but hopefully Chad is not as he joins us on the <laughs> phone line, sir. Thank you so much. I believe this is your sports talk debut here in Champaign-Urbana, so congratulations on that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's a huge honor. Thanks. <laughs> Appreciate it. I'm glad to be here.
0: Oh, we are, too. Um, It was a few years ago that I was at a media day for Big Ten, and one of the talking points was how stable is the Big Ten coaching world, and especially in the Big Ten West. And if you travel west from Des Moines, you find a, a, a program without a permanent head coach. If you go a little bit northeast, you find a program without one. And some people are even wondering how long the coach in Iowa City will stick around. So, uh welcome to a new world here, Chad. Uh, how surprised were you just at, at the uh, shakeups that have been happening?
2: Well, uh, certainly the Wisconsin news was uh was kind of stunning. Uh just sort of out of left field, although you kind of look at it and you do kind of understand it especially, you know, Jim Leonard probably was going to be an attractive head coach. I'm not saying he's going to get the job. We don't know that yet, but uh, I think this gives, you know, gives Wisconsin a chance to give Leonard a pretty good look. And uh, you have to think that they have a plan in place, some kind of plan. They wouldn't uh, have pulled the plug on a guy that's 67 and 26, you know, uh, without, you know, just as a knee-jerk reaction. And then you you kind of also look at the Nebraska situation <laughs> You know, they could have waited a couple more weeks, sure, and uh, saved a lot of buyout money on Scott Frost. But I think it also is a huge reflection of, number one, all the TV money that's going to be coming in. Uh, the, the buyouts are not necessarily an issue anymore. And then number two is, you know, these programs are positioning themselves to make that big splash higher, uh, you know, it, it, you know to be ready for that, you know, to, to be able to announce somebody on December, let's say eight before that uh, recruiting signing period, you know, hits whatever mid late December. So uh, you understand kind of the, the time frame has, has just moved up so much in that respect. And yeah, you know, obviously Illinois seems like it's made a great hire here a couple of years ago. So really is a lot of change going on outside of the state where I live, but the change, you know, the, where I live, uh, it's, Same old, same old, and there is some frustration locally about that.
0: Well, the frustration I I hear and see expressed is obviously the offense is not uh, producing, and it's a problem more so, at least from a public relations standpoint, when the offensive coordinator is son of the head coach. But does it feel like, I mean, one of the things you could just always count on was the sun rising and Kirk Ferentz and Iowa football just being what they are. Does it feel like
2: there's any shaky ground there? I would say, um, certainly, you know, Iowa's three and two start isn't uh, you know a a huge crisis or anything like that. Big picture, but the way it's looked, I think, has really uh, caused a lot of fans fatigue. That's a phrase that gets brought up every few years, Um, you know, especially as you mentioned about the son, his son being the offensive coordinator, uh, and seeming, you know, basically they brought back the same plan as they had last year when their offense struggled didn't really make any changes and that's kind of also the source of the frustration is like you knew you had issues on offense you kept the same coordinator you kept the same quarterbacks largely the same offensive scheme I mean very very small tweaks um you know nothing wholesale and then you're getting the same results so it's just it's just a constant frustration and then the Hawk fans of course feel like they're wasting uh, an elite defense and elite special teams unit you know just you know, begging for an average offense <laughs> and not getting one. So that's where kind of the, you know, kind of the complaints are now, and they're valid. I mean, it, it it's been ugly. It's been really ugly. You know, to to win seven to three against South Dakota State. I don't care if it's the opener or not. Uh, you needed two safeties to get to seven, and then to lose at home to Iowa State in a game where you caused three turnovers and blocked two punts and lose ten to seven. Uh, your only touchdown coming on a 16-yard scoring drive that did not sit well either, uh, and now it's just uh, you know losing to Michigan and not scoring a point in the first three quarters didn't help matters. So here we are now we're heading to Illinois and um, seeing <laughs> seeing where this story takes us next.
0: Chad Lystico from the Des Moines Register joining us on Sports Talk.
1: Well, Chad, this is Lauren. I'm going to switch you over to Illinois. What do you what do you see uh, happening here and What's your feeling about what it would take for, for Iowa to win the game over here on Saturday night?
2: Well, obviously, you know, we're well aware of Brett Bielema, you know, uh, here in Iowa City, and uh, he's uh, he's kind of built that program just like you thought he would, and I think he's probably ahead of schedule, at least in terms of, you know, maybe what those of us thought on the outside, but, you know, building it around defense, a running game, certainly was was really smart and it seems like it seems like from the outside he's embraced the transfer portal um much more than than kirk ferentz has that's something i think uh, that ferentz really needs to evolve in so i think the the access to the transfer portal and certainly he knows the importance of of beefing up recruiting in states i mean iowa has has for years and years uh lived on recruits from the state of illinois and Mm -hmm. i think bielema certainly is trying to defend that turf a little bit more and has in many head-to-head cases uh, I think it Eden Hall right is that his last name um, I think that was the prospect's name um, that chose Iowa or Illinois over Iowa at the last minute and um, so uh, yeah I'm just very impressed at what they've done so far and that being said I mean Illinois' best win, obviously, is at Wisconsin, but now we don't even know how good Wisconsin really is. So I think we're going to find some things out on Saturday against an opponent that really has dominated Illinois over the years. I mean, eight straight wins in the series and 13 of 14. So it's a, it's a pretty exciting matchup that actually has a ton of uh, West Division implications suddenly.
1: Yeah, uh, with Ohio State just around the corner, this is a really critical game for for Iowa, because if you lose Illinois very, very soon, you could be completely out of the race. I mean, it's fairly obvious it's, it's going to be very difficult for anybody to be to Ohio State this year.
2: No, that's a great point. And I think I think that's why, if I'm an Illinois fan, I would feel a little bit nervous about this game because this is a, a classic Kirk Ferentz kind of rally the uh, circle the wagons type of situation mm-hmm. where you come off of a loss, face adversity. It's basically, you know, they're advertising it right now. As of today, it's a four-day it's a four day season. You you get this win and you get into the bye week and you kind of just take your breath and you regroup from there. Uh, Hawkeyes very well remember how they went into the bye week last year. They lost at home to Purdue and they were the second-ranked team in the country. That's also fresh in their minds. That lingered. So uh, there's a huge amount of importance on, you know, Winning this game, this particular game, and I would have to think that Illinois is kind of feeling a little bit of a, you know, as a favorite now, a little bit of a different role change here. So how will they handle that? So it's kind of a fascinating um, matchup in that sense, because I don't know if any of us thought we would be at this point at this point in the season.
1: Having lost uh, Jones to Purdue, and he's practically leading the nation in receptions, uh, is Iowa hurting at, the, at that position?
2: Yeah, that's a, uh, I'm Charlie Jones. Uh, yeah, that's another uh, touchy subject here in Iowa right now. You know, because uh, Iowa fans understandably say, you know, your son's offense drove him away to to, to find greener pastures, so to speak." And so that's another source of, the, of frustration among Iowa fans. So yeah, it's absolutely a huge topic right now uh, here because Iowa has been decimated. I mean they absolutely decimated a receiver. Their expected number one receiver, Keegan Johnson, has played only about a dozen snaps all year and he won't play again this Saturday at Illinois. So they've you know been missing him, missing Charlie Jones. Obviously Tyrone Tracy Jr. also transferred to Purdue. So they lost, you know, three of their top four receivers that way. And then the the only guy they really had left was Arlen Bruce the fourth and he's been there the number one receiver, but he's only got three catches for 12 yards the last two weeks because he's been dealing with an injury. So uh, they were they had one scholarship receiver uh, in the opener, so that tells you kind of where they were um, injury wise. And they're getting some reinforcements back now. They actually looked, uh, I know. I'm gonna get killed for this by Iowa fans, but they actually looked a little bit better in the passing game the last couple of weeks. Hmm. You know, and the Iowa fans don't really want to hear any positives right now but How
0: dare you, sir. <laughs> so, yeah, I
2: know. <laughs> I'm not allowed to say anything nice about Spencer Peters. So I found I found that out. Um so, you know, the uh you know, I think they're they are in a little bit of an upward trend, but the, the bar is so low, it's hard to, <laughs> it's hard to really say that with a straight face. I mean it's but it is getting a little bit better, I feel like.
0: Speaking of touchy subjects, Sam LaPorta, uh, Illinois native that uh, eschewed the uh, or was overlooked by the previous coaching staff in Illinois and, of course, is, uh, well, he's right now the number one receiver <laughs> for, for Iowa. and it's, it's no surprise that a tight end would, would, would have that uh, moniker to him, but uh, how, how are the tight ends doing there?
2: Yeah, that's probably the strength of the offense. Uh, to be honest, is uh, the tight end play? I mean, uh, Sam Laporta. You mentioned, him. yeah, it's a classic example of Iowa going into Illinois, probably turf that Illinois should defend, and and kind of scooping him up. And yeah, he was uh, last year. He became the first tight end in more than two decades to lead the team in receptions and receiving yards uh, in in a season. So, and then he returned. You know, he wanted to uh, uh, you know improve his NFL stock, be back with his team for a senior year. He's been pretty good. He's had, but he's had a few drops, had some blocking issues at times, but he played really, really good football up at Rutgers a couple of weeks ago, and then Luke Lachey, the backup tight end, uh, really kind of exploded this last week against Michigan. He's been his emergence has been coming. It's kind of interesting. His dad is the color commentator for radio broadcasts for Ohio State, Jim Lachey. So oh. uh, you probably recognize that name, and uh, he's. Uh, so he's got good bloodlines. I mean, he's six six, two fifty two, and uh, he had four catches for eighty four yards and a touchdown against Michigan. Um, so those two players are are very much guys that Illinois will have to kind of contend with. Iowa runs a lot of twelve personnel, a lot of two tight end sets, and those uh, you know those two guys have been their top two targets the last two weeks.
0: Defensively. Is there something that is distinct about the good Iowa defense this year?
2: Well, uh, here, let's start with the negative. I mean, they really haven't forced as many turnovers as they have last year, and I think a big part of that is because other teams don't have to score that many points to beat Iowa, mm-hmm. and so the you know the the approach that Iowa State took and it's it's frankly the one that um, Michigan took as well is just play it safe you know, take our five to six yards at a time, inch our way down the field and punch it in. And, and that's kind of how you have to beat Iowa. And I think Illinois is actually pretty pretty well built to do that uh, with the offensive line that they have and, of course, Chase Brown. So it's a, it's a scary matchup for Iowa in that respect. Uh, but that said, they've got uh, a tremendous uh, back five. If Illinois does have to throw, it's going to be, um, you know, that's when Iowa can cash in with interceptions. Iowa's got a pretty good – uh, rotation at defensive line, but uh, they were kind of overmatched by Michigan. That was the first time we've seen that really happen all year, uh, where, where they couldn't hold up at the point of attack. So I'm curious to see how that looks uh, against Illinois on Saturday, because it looks like Illinois has a pretty good offensive line. I mean, Iowa's best defensive player probably is Jack Campbell, the middle linebacker. Uh, he had a bad game against Michigan, probably one of the worst of his career, so he was, uh, he's, he's fighting mad. Talked to him today over here in Iowa City, and uh, I would not expect him to have a second bad game in a row. He was the preseason Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year. So they got a lot of talent on that side of the ball, and, and certainly turnovers are the name of the game for, for this group. When they get him, Iowa usually wins.
1: Chad, i got one last question. Uh, Illinois hasn't played a really, really, really good offensive line yet, and their defensive line has dominated in every case. Is that possible against Iowa's offensive line?
2: Yeah, Iowa's offensive line has been a struggle. Um, it's uh, The left side of the line might be coming together, but uh, had a lot of pass protection issues against Michigan, as they seem to always do um, on the right side. So, uh, yeah, that is certainly a work in progress for the Hawkeyes. Probably not a good sign if you're, if you're an Iowa fan, if uh, Illinois is dominant on the defensive front. And I would not surprise me if that's the case with Brett Bielema, So, uh, especially given he is a defensive lineman, hmm. so um, you know I, I think that's a bad matchup for Iowa. And we know that uh, you know Spencer Petras, the quarterback today for the Hawkeyes, talked about they expect stacked boxes against the Illini. They expect them to attack their, you know, uh, dare them to throw, and you know, mm-hmm. he just basically said we're going to still try to run it at them even against those numbers. So. Uh, that'll be interesting to see how that works out. Um, but I, I think for Iowa to win, they're going to have to get better execution up front than they've gotten all year, and that's that's kind of hard to expect, especially when you're playing basically their front five. Their best front five are sophomores and freshmen, so that's that's pretty much what they've got up there.
0: Chad Lystico, from Lystico, excuse me, from the Des Moines Register. We really appreciate you spending some time. It's been good to chat. Look forward to meeting you in person on Saturday night at Memorial Stadium. And, well, shoot, we may see two teams that score between seven and 10 points <laughs>
2: when it's all said and done. <laughs> but, oh, man. I'm so tired of watching this, uh, you know, just low scoring games. And I'm a Chicago Bears fan, too. So it's just, been, like, <laughs> watch we're,
1: that we're both in bad that shape. Bad offense
2: on <laughs> Sunday. <laughs> all right. Anyway, th- thanks, guys. I enjoyed it.
0: Thank you very much. Do appreciate it. It's Chad Leistik. Yep, yeah, thank you, Chad and You can uh, follow him on Twitter and read him at the Des Moines Register. And you know, I kid, but when based on what he said, you add this all up. Let's just say, for argument's sake, the defenses are even. They it's a wash there. They're both good defenses, but Iowa's offense already is struggling. Illinois is better, I think. You've got home field. You've got maybe a, a weak offensive
1: line for one, one word turnovers there you go we can't afford if Illinois doesn't make turnovers I think Illinois will win Mm -hmm. but Iowa lives on turnovers they scored two touchdowns against Rutgers in a 27 to 10 game two touchdowns on a fumble recovery and an interception return
0: And they still (laughs) lost it
1: you just can't allow that and I think you do have to play safe against them because if you do play safe they're not going to score a lot of points are they I don't think. No, I mean, I, I, this is probably a
0: race to, you know, I think anybody who gets to 20 wins this game.
1: <laughs> That's what we said last week, though.
0: I mean, Illinois is holding opponents to 8-something point something points per game, mm-hmm. and I was holding opponents to 10 points a game.
1: So, yeah, and it was a lot less than that before they played Michigan. <laughs> All
0: right, back in a moment. You're listening to Sports Talk on DWS the big orange out for the Illini as they take on the Hawkeyes 630 at Memorial Stadium Illini game day at 430 Saturday night thanks to Chad Lystico from the Des Moines Register for a little chat about the Iowa Hawkeyes Illinois by the way today gave out student tickets uh, courtesy of a donor, or donors they did not name said donors, who bought or provided for a thousand free student tickets, and they gave them out at the Butkus Statue. And I I, I have not heard if those all went out, but...
1: They are sold out in ten minutes. So the student section sold out. No, I didn't say that. But the, the, the tickets that
0: they oh, gave away the free were free tickets out. were. If, um... You know, in, in the effort to get a, you know, they're putting a huge social media campaign out there. I mean, Brad Underwood's making appeals and everybody mm-hmm. come to this game, come to this game. And if they they haven't done what I would say is the trump card there. And it's saying, you know, set up a booth, meet Lauren Tate, watch them <laughs> come I in groves.
1: You need it for recruiting. I keep saying that. If you keep showing the, the pictures of the East stands empty, you're never going to get the recruits that you expect to, that you need to get. They've got Hill coming in from Kankakee. By the way, did you notice that... Bilma just dropped the word Kankakee in, yeah. a, in, a, in a press conference. Yeah. I thought, well, that's interesting because the number one guy that they want is Hill from Kankakee. Yeah. And- I saw him play basketball, and he got two technical fouls. I say, as far as football is concerned, get him because he is really rough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You would not go in for a layup with him there. Yeah. Yeah. Unless, He's- Not if you want to live through it. Billman somebody was asked about Ryan Walters recruiting
0: and he said well Walters is the same well, you can you, you can send him to LA you can mm-hmm. send him to Boston you can send him to Kankakee to recruit and
1: he yeah, uh, mentioned LA yeah and the strength of of uh, from a Colorado standpoint the strength of Walters is his ability to recruit in California mm-hmm. and Colorado more than anything else needs a, a recruiter in California
0: well Ryan Walters was asked straight up what do you think of your name being tied to this, the job at Colorado and and he said all the right things that anybody in that absolutely. position says hey I'm right here I'm focused on this all I, live like, in Savoy. You know, I live in Savoy I care about uh, the game against Iowa this Saturday and mm-hmm. getting our guys ready and all that that's a, absolutely what you say but he does have a way of he's
1: very yeah. genuine the way he does it if you beat Iowa this week and assume you hold them down uh, and you're still leading the nation at ha- at the halfway point leading the nation in defense there's bound to be people saying, wait a minute, what's going on there? And yeah. looking. Because he they weren't exactly left with a bunch of five stars or even four stars. These are all three-star players that have been developed by this particular yeah. staff.
0: Yeah, and they, they've grown, but also this staff has figured out how to
1: maximize them and develop them and
0: put them in places to... I use this
1: number every time, and I get a chance now because I looked it up. I've got 28 players. Uh, you've probably heard me say this. Uh, there are 28 players that I consider starters uh, out of 22 positions, right? You've got three tight ends, you've got five defensive backs. It comes to 28. Okay. 22 of them were recruited by Lovey. 22 of the 28. Nobody knows that. 22 of the 28. That's a stunning number. We have talked about it in postgame. Most of the key players,
0: not all, but most of the key players on defense were either started their career here or transferred here while Lovey was head mm-hmm. coach. Yep.
1: Yeah. And there were some guys that we don't talk about that played terrific football Saturday if you go back and look at it. And one is Dark Angelo. Yep. And and I I think that uh, Yeah, he transferred in in 20. Yeah, he's a uh, he he didn't even play in 2020. He didn't play at all in 2020.
0: Yeah, but I'm saying that's when Lovey was still coach. Lovey mm-hmm. Lovey yeah, yeah, brought said- him in. But the, the you know, we know how bad the defense was letting
1: people through, so uh-huh. y- y- a lot of the people that are here playing for, and you say, Well, uh, you know, would these guys have been in uh, this good under Lovey? Well, they wouldn't, a lot of them wouldn't even be here. Pelchevsky wouldn't be here, yeah, P- so, Pilstrom probably wouldn't be here. There that's
0: are, that's a very good point. I think you made it too yesterday morning as. You know, as you say, most as we say, most of these players were here for Lovey. Would they still be here if Brett Bielma had not done the job he had done in a convincing them to stay, and then now rising
1: them up to this? We level? We probably wouldn't have beaten Minnesota and and Penn State last year, you know, because a lot of those players would not have returned. Some were already gone when when the coach got here, and he talked them back in. That to me is was that was the first indication that I got. That he had some, he won their hearts and he won their souls, and got them to come back and play. We
0: step aside for a moment, and we'll make our transition to hour two right after this. <music> hour two coming up, and we'll visit with Matt Brown of Extra Points and Alex Palcheski from Illinois' offensive line. Evan Kahn will be in. A texture. Lauren, says this is also a bit of a homecoming for a an Iowa coach, uh, O-line coach there. George Barnett is a Tuscola native. He's in his second season with the Hawkeyes. And he was a, a GA here back in the day when Ron Turner was head coach. Was yeah, under Harry mm-hmm. Uh And... Uh, so this uh, texter, Bo, wants to give a shout-out to Coach Barnett for his local ties. He also coached some high school ball and taught down in Mattoon for the Green Wave and then has worked his way through the college ranks at Illinois State and Miami of Ohio and Tulane, and now he's the O-line coach at Iowa. And, well, <laughs> Chad Lestico just told us that there's a little bit of question mark there on the offensive line for Iowa. Well, the That's Illinois the guy trying to keep it together.
1: Illinois every offensive line so far, and we'll see what happens when Iowa comes in. They're always tougher than you think they're going to be, oh, physically. Yeah. I mean, not necessarily a great team, but they, they'll they fight you in the trenches. Uh, th- this will be interesting because Illinois
0: is in a bit of a position they haven't been yet in a while, uh, can just kind of able to kind of walk in, consider the favorite, however small of a margin it is. And uh, it, you think that Iowa might be a little nervous about this game, or Iowa fans would be, but yet – uh, Illinois has not strung it all together in terms of sustained success, so
1: you know this is their first time kind of being in this position. Well, it's the first time that you have three guys—Newton, Randolph, and Avery—who the fans are all of a sudden realizing are something special up front. I mean, can you name the starting to you know the starting defensive linemen four years ago, six years ago, eight years? We will remember these guys for a while. Absolutely, they've become the stars of the team. Sir, see you tomorrow. We'll be at Atkins for
0: quarterback club. I'll be there. Mm -hmm. News Talk 1400, 93.9 FM, WDWS, Champaign-Urbana. Champaign Multimedia Group Station, Hour 2, After the News.